Okay, we're recording. wanted to bring a diverse group of Mississippi millennials together who are doing amazing things in their own spaces, but also understand that in order for us to progress as a state, we have to pay attention, we have to be politically connected. But I discovered everything that I, I could do elsewhere, I can do here. Uh, and not only can I do it here, I can have a, a, a far greater impact right here in my own backyard. I don't care. I've been all over the country and there is really no place like Mississippi. Uh, from the coast to the delta, uh, you got three different type of grooves. <laughs> so much that I didn't know about Mississippi. So I didn't learn to fall in love with Mississippi until after I left. For us to be able to, to have the type of conversations that people can be like, I, I, I trust Aisha, I trust Marcus, I trust Matthew, I trust Jasmine. And I can understand what they're saying. We we the round table. <laughs> we the round table. <laughs> I love that. Hello, everyone. I would like to welcome you to the very first episode of the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable podcast. My name is Aisha Carson, and I'm a Mississippi millennial. I was born and raised here in Mississippi, and I am very excited to bring you some content uh, talking about politics in Mississippi, not only just talking about politics and providing some very interesting com commentary from the millennial perspective, but also talking about some things that we can do to progress Mississippi. So um, the podcast is not just about uplifting our voices. We do want to tie everything that we're talking about to a collective action, but we want to jump right into introducing you to the rest of the people that have joined the Millennial Roundtable to talk a little bit more about why they want to attach themselves to this growing coalition of Mississippi Millennials and the things that are important to us to create political progress in the state of Mississippi. So we appreciate you for listening, and I am super excited to introduce you to the rest of the roundtable, and you can learn about how you can leverage your voice to create political progress in Mississippi. Now, I want to introduce you to the rest of the Millennial Roundtable. These are all some very cool Mississippi millennials that I've met on my journey here in Mississippi, um, either in the policy space or outside of the policy space who are just doing some amazing things. And they're going to be bringing their perspectives to the millennial roundtable to talk about the different political issues going on in the state and also what we can do to address those issues. So with that being said, I want to start off by introducing Jasmine. If you know anything about the amazing Sip Talk Network, it is a growing brand that is cultivating and curating spaces for creatives here in Mississippi. And she'll be lending her voice to not only talking about politics, but the intersection between creatives and politics and building a coalition and a culture for narrative change here in Mississippi. Thank you so much. Okay, like Aisha said, my name is Jasmine and I am the founder of Sip Talk Media, 
Tip Talk is a platform that just seeks to change the narrative about Mississippi and instill value um, in us because I noticed that there was a blind spot within my own upbringing about where I come from and who I'm attached to and the different customs that we have. So we primarily focus on cultural education, letting people know about different did you knows or you know cool facts about Mississippi, specifically Black Mississippians. We do center the voices and the, and the experiences and stories of Black Mississippians. Um, so if you want to be a part of all of this, we do a lot. We curate events. Um, the main goal is to just keep us connected and keep us moving forward. Um, so if you want to stay in the loop for all things news, culture, and community for Mississippi, um, you can follow us on all platforms at SIP Talk, S-I-P-P-T-A-L-K. It is two P's. Um, and also our website, www.siptalk.com. So yeah, keep up with us and hopefully we'll see you around. All right, so next, Matt, um, I want to welcome Matt to the roundtable, Matthew Campbell, um, and give him a chance to introduce himself. Thanks, Aisha. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for putting this together. Um, like Aisha said, my name is Matthew Campbell. Uh, I'm a community organizer um, at the Mississippi State Conference, NAACP. Um, and, and so pretty much um, every day when I wake up, uh, I'm thinking about, you know, what can I do within my capacity and, and what can the Mississippi um, NAACP, what can we do within our capacity um, to help uh, marginalized and disadvantaged and underserved communities build power? Um, how can we help those communities build a sustainable, a sustainable civic infrastructure um, or, or help enhance the infrastructure that already exists there? Um, and so the work uh, that I do at the Mississippi NAACP, um, my organizing work is based on three fundamental components, uh, three fundamental components that have existed uh, since the civil rights movement, uh, and that's data and research, um, community education, um, and field organizing. Um, so um, that's how I approach my work um, uh, to, to, to help uh, advance this state, to help advance our communities, um, and, and I'm just glad to be here on this platform, the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable. Thanks, Aisha. No problem. Glad to have you, Matthew. Um, and next, we want to welcome to the Millennial Roundtable, Marcus Carr. I know him as Cujo. You may know him as Marcus Carr, but Marcus Carr, go ahead and introduce yourself. Appreciate it, Aisha. Um, my name is Marcus Carr, DJ Cujo, um, uh, fitness enthusiast, cook. <laughs> Um, I do branding, businesses, Studio 54, I own and operate that. Um, I'm the uncle of the group. I think I'm the eldest out of all the millennial roundtables, <laughs> people on the, on the roundtable. Um, just here to uh, have insight, fun, and give another aspect of politics from like a fun hip-hop side, I guess. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And last but not least, uh, Chuck Patterson, you may know, I mean, you can know Chuck from a lot of different places. He has his hands in so much in Mississippi, but in the best way possible. So I want to give Chuck an opportunity to introduce himself. I know he's representing for the Gulf Coast. Yeah, yeah. You see the, uh, the palm tree in the background, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, again, uh, as Asia said, my name is Chuck Patterson. Uh, to invoke my father and my, my, my son that came behind me and the one that came behind him, George McRae Patterson Jr., so uh, named after my, my dad. I'm originally from Mobile, Alabama, got to Mississippi in 1999 and basically never left. And the reason that I never left is, uh, well, I did leave a little while, but never left in my heart is because of Tougaloo. And uh, I appreciate uh, Matthew's approach to uh, his work, especially the community organizing of it, because uh, that's where I, I come to all of this. I got into it um, being a, a DJ. That's where me and Marcus are connected that understands the power of putting people together and then building trust and camaraderie. And from there, you can do anything that, that, that you want as a collective. So uh, I always believe in that collective power. Um, and I guess my, my hat that I, I want to wear today, I represent uh, a number of organizations. Uh, one that we're growing right now uh, is Black With No Chaser. It's a, a media company that is creating a safe space for all blackness. And uh, my title there is Chief of Production. And what I do is um, I source all of the, the, the clothing items or the t-shirts and hoodies and things, cups that we sell through our shop on blackmenochaser.com. And uh, I make it look cool and make stuff that people want to wear. So, uh, but I definitely want to uh, thank Asia and everybody that's here today. Uh, I think this is something that is needed. It, we can only go and grow from this point. So I, I'm glad to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's the round table folks. I really wanted to bring a diverse group of Mississippi millennials together who are doing amazing things in their own spaces, but also understand that in order for us to progress as a state, we have to pay attention, we have to be politically engaged. Um, because to be honest, a lot of what has who has represented us in political leadership are not representative of the people. And how do we start to think about that? How do we start to think about how we make that change? And I want the Millennial Roundtable podcast to be a place where we can have discourse about what that means for us in our generation. And one of the reasons that I thought it was really important to put together this coalition is because the brain drain narrative often implies that the best and the brightest are leaving. And there is some truth to that, but for me, living and working in Mississippi, I would meet so many people inside and outside of the policy space that were really doing dope things and they were millennials. So I started to think, what if we're here, but the platform doesn't exist for us to elevate the work we're doing or to elevate the positive things that we've done. Um, the brave millennials who have chosen to like Chuck said, just stay and decide for ourselves what does it mean to make it better. So I guess what I really want all millennials in Mississippi to really think about, but something for us to discuss here at the round table today is what is it about Mississippi that keeps you here and keeps you wanting to contribute to change in the state in your own way? Well, with me, um, it's home. Like there, I don't care. I've been all over the country, and there is really no place like Mississippi. Uh, from the coast to the delta, uh, you got three different type of grooves. <laughs> three or four That's different so true. That's right. so true. Right. 
Um, and also, um, of course, cost of living. You can't beat it. Um, I, me and my wife were looking at houses in New York. And I mean, no offense to anybody that moves out. But I saw $3,500 for 800 square feet <laughs> a month. So cost of living. Um, and close to family and friends. And I want to continue to change the narrative of Mississippi. So many people think that we're nothing but dirt roads and uh, 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 no shoes on our feet running up and down the street. Like people have the, the so many crazy misconceptions about Mississippi and it's up to us to change that and let them know that dope people do come out of this state. And That's we right. change the culture all over the country. I mean, you can name, we can, I can name 10 people just off the top of my head uh, from Oprah to Snoop to Rick Ross, Ray J. Brady. So many people <laughs> whose roots are very deeply yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, for me, being home, um, because I was originally, well, I wasn't originally, I, I was born and raised in Mississippi moved away to Austin for like a year and a half, maybe two years, I don't know, um, and came back home um, because I realized that, again, like it was just so much that I didn't know about Mississippi, so I didn't learn to fall in love with Mississippi until after I left, um, and the work that I started to kind of dive into in Austin with like seeing people, how they curated experiences or events or brands um, and really brought people together I didn't feel right putting my roots or my energy in a place. Like I knew that the community I truly cared about were in the city. Um, and that was in the midst of really creating sit talk and, and imagining what I wanted it to be. Um, so I came back because I, I stayed connected with the people at home and we all were kind of talking about the same vision. So I think it was a lot of vision work or like vision talk for me that made me say, okay, I want to plant myself home and, and sow into the community that I know are closest to me. Um, yeah, because people aren't talking. I think our biggest issue is that people aren't talking to millennials. Um, and so- They're and, talking and, about yeah. them, but and not to them. Exactly, exactly. And so understanding the language game, I, I just felt that I would be best on the soil. That's dope. That is. Yep. Um, and, and for me, I would say um, I echo uh, what Marcus said about this being home. Um, but I think for me, uh, my dad lives in the D.C. area. So I spent pretty much every summer there. Um, I majored in political science. So I had you know, like three or four internships in D.C. And so for somebody like me who's majored in political science, who loves politics, it would make sense for me to say, OK, you know what? I'm a, after I get done with college, I'm going to go and live in D.C. You know, I'm going to go and find me a job in D.C. You know, I've already started networking up there, done some internships up there. Uh, but I discovered everything that I, I can do elsewhere, I can do here. Uh, and not only can I do it here, I can have a, a, a far greater impact right here in my own backyard, uh, working among people that I know, people that I love, um, than I can do elsewhere. Uh, and then they don't have sweet tea up there, which is a no. Um, so um, a big no. A big no. Gotta have a sweet tea. Uh, and they do not have it. Uh, and and I think and I, and I think they just opened like the first 
the first Krispy Kreme in Maryland not too long ago. Uh, hold they on, hold on. Big Dunkin' Donuts people. Uh, so I couldn't wow. have the Dunkin' Donuts, or, you know, so, and I had- Shipley's over everything. Uh, Shipley's over everything. <laughs> yeah, Shipley's okay, but you know, I, I'm a Krispy Kreme guy. I gotta get, I gotta grow a Krispy Kreme. Uh, oh. But, and, and then also the potential that exists here, um, you know, we have the, the highest um, share of, of black folks in the country until DC becomes a state. Um, and so the opportunity exists here for us to, to, to really change the political landscape. And I want to be a part of that. Uh, so that's why I've decided to stay in Mississippi. I feel like I can relate to all of that. Um, and it's funny you brought up the barefoot part because this the, it was a tweet like that that actually introduced me to Jasmine and Tip Talk. And yeah. she said that barefoot Mississippi summers made me. And I was like, who is this girl? Because me too. But um, like, like when I think about home and I think about going to my grandmother's house, being able to take my shoes off and put my feet in the grass, like that matters to me. Like that right. grounding. And same as Jasmine, that's like, all the thing, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And um, when I um, found out that they're like, okay, more people having these conversations about like, there is some potential here. There is opportunities to grow. And I think even though I understand that the brain drain is an issue, like it does take away from the fact that there are brave millennials who are digging their heels in and who are trying to figure out how do we grow and we cultivate the things that we know and love and consider culture um, here in Mississippi. And I think that's also directly tied to um, that narrative about who we are and Mississippi is directly tied to our political outcome. Um, and so changing that narrative is also changing the political outcome changing how we think about our political system and how we engage in it so a lot of like what jasmine said resonated with me because i've you know interviewed other places and just in my heart felt like why would i want to do this work any other place than in mississippi where i know it's needed um so i've also been convicted about um like if my heart is here what does that mean for me really staying and contributing to change here too yeah, my my answer is a bit different from y'all's. Uh, one, because I'm not originally from Mississippi. Uh, my reason for staying, you know, is one word. It was Tougaloo. And, like, you know, I know y'all get sick of Tougaloo folks talking about, you know, Tougaloo is a special place. And, like, <laughs> man, y'all. Yeah, you can say that again. Look, I man, mean, I don't know no, between... Between um, Tougaloo and Jackson State, I mean, y'all pretty much went went on that tip. But I yeah. understand. I get it, though. <laughs> Man, so so my story is this. When I graduated high school, um, that was in May of 1999. A month before that, my mom passed away, and she said, I wanted you to go to Tougaloo. I want you to go to Tougaloo. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, all right. I don't know. You know, because I... One, being from Alabama, you you looking next door, I'm like, man, that ain't far enough. I want to go to the A. I want to go to the AUC. I want to be, uh, I want to go to, you know, either Morehouse, Morehouse or Clark Atlanta. Uh, like, I'm looking at all of these 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 different um, schools that are options. She was like, no, nah, look, take a look at Tougaloo. And my mom was not a graduate of Tougaloo, but uh, 
my second cousin, her first cousin, uh, was married to the, the president of uh, Tougaloo at the time. And then he left, went back uh, home, and became the president of Alabama State University. But in that time that, um, you know, that, that they were there, they made sure that, one, I got, you know, uh, acclimated to the school and, you know, made sure I felt supported after losing my mom. But it's like the, the campus, the staff, uh, and then, you know, not not last and not least, but my friends, they wrapped their arms around me and the, the community just kept growing. Yeah, it kept growing, man. And then next thing you know, I got all of these people that care about me and they want like, look, man, let's let's go to your house this weekend. And I'm like, okay. And then why right, we're going to go to, you know, my house the next weekend. And now I'm like, I, I found my wife here. We have a family. We, you know, we've left Jackson and now moved to the coast, which is where my wife is from closer to mobile in a sense. Uh, but like Marcus said, you have, you know, three or four vibes in Mississippi. You get to North Mississippi. It's like you done went to another state in a sense, you know what I'm saying? You come to the coast, you're like, this is in Mississippi. You like go out to the Horn Island. So I'm just thinking about it is there are a lot of big businesses that are doing big business in Mississippi. But one of the things that kept me wanting to to uh, to be here and, and trying to create things and a lot of things that uh, Marcus and I partner on is like, man, it's it's so much opportunity. It's a blank slate almost everywhere you go. Anything that you want to do, you can you almost have, if not the resources, you at least got the connections or a person that can get you to the person uh, that can help you to to uh, birth the idea. Now, when we talk about get to the money, that's a whole nother podcast. But, <laughs> For sure. Uh, at least the connections we got it, man. Mm -hmm. So um, I was thinking, you know, and I gave my, my thoughts about why I uh, wanted to stay in Mississippi, but I wanted to ask y'all specifically about, you know, why uh, each of you wanted to get involved uh, or add your brand or add your voice to, to the round table and, and see, you know, what comes up and what comes out. Um, well, I think it's important being a creative and coming back to the crib. Um, I think it's important for creatives to see themselves in, in the political landscape. Um, and I think with everything that's going on as far as COVID and we kind of are getting a bigger or a more clear view of what it means <laughs> to be black and in America, um, and people recognize that their day-to-day -day or their local um, their local politicians mean not mean more, but affect their day-to-day -day lives more so than than the president. Um, and so I think it's important to for creatives to see themselves in this space um, and to know that it is important for us to be here if we want to live and be able to live off our art here in Mississippi. Because recognizing that everything goes back to policy um and if we can't if we don't have the funds like i know as far as hip hop, we believe in creating a creative ecosystem and like you can't have an ecosystem without money and a lot of money that comes through mississippi creatives and artists aren't really uplifted or it's i was specifically black artists um and so that's why i think it's important to be here yeah um for me um i would say as as somebody um, who's organized um, pretty much all over the state, uh, you know, 
North Mississippi, East Mississippi, Southwest, Southeast Mississippi, all over the state. Um, and, and who's, I guess, over time, over the past, I would say two years or so, has developed somewhat of an expertise um, in political um, education, in issue education. Um, I think being able to attach that to what the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable is trying to accomplish, trying to achieve is imperative. Um, because I mean, I think that's the only way that we can really make sure that folks are free, make sure that folks have the resources that they need is if we educate folks. Um, and that's a big part of the work that I do as an organizer. Um, there's no foundation if we don't have the necessary voter education and necessary political education. Um, if we don't raise folks, if we don't raise their collective uh, consciousness, their collective political consciousness, it's hard to move the needle forward on different issues uh, because then folks will become apathetic. Then folks will say, oh, well, you know, that really doesn't affect me. Um, and so I think that's one of the thing, one of the reasons why it's important for me, people like me and people like Jasmine that have that platform where you're able to reach thousands of people across this state and we're able to cre uh, create and control our own narrative and we're able to disseminate good information. That's important. Um, if we want to move the needle forward, if we want to create, reimagine a new Mississippi. Um, and so I think that's what it is for me. Um, it's about being able to attach my expertise, bring my expertise um, in, the political, in the political arena to the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable um, and, and make sure that we're able to, to, to increase awareness and participation, civic participation as much as possible. Um, so that's what it's about for me. And just piggybacking off of uh, what Matt said, um, it's important to me as well as far as a brand new Mississippi and um, trying to let people know, um, typically most DJs stay out of the political realm. They don't like to rock the boat because they might mess up their clientele or somebody might not book them because of their views. I don't care about all that. Um, <laughs> Uh, not does this Chuck, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we're here. We're, we're here to shake the table. Um, and we, I that's think bringing, um, yeah, my, I, me and my wife talked about that. I was like, if they don't want to book me because of my views, I so? probably didn't need to work for them anyway. Um, they probably want me to shuck and jive and tap dance and that's not me. Um, but I, I think being a DJ, it's important for people that are in the club and partying to understand like it's cool to be able to care about your people, your community. Um, and also you can still have fun, but you can also be conscious about what's going on in your state and voting locally and making sure that you know who's running what in the days uh, in your local elections. Um, so that's why I think it was important for me to join the round table. And you know, for me, uh, this is sort of my thought, baby, but each and every one of you I've worked with in a different space on this. Like, it's not something that I kind of put together myself. You all also saw the need. Um, and so I just wanted to create a space for us to have these conversations in open forum, because I don't think that it's that we're not having these conversations because every millennial I talk to is having some version of this conversation in their friend group. 
Um, but there is power in, in creating this larger discourse, this larger conversation, so that we can kind of all put our heads together. Um, we can leverage some resources and some information that we have to keep everyone informed. Um, and I, so I think that, you know, what Jasmine was saying about building an ecosystem, this is our start. This is our start for putting that ecosystem together within this generation and all these different people and all their different expertise and coming together and say, okay, how do we, how do we push forward? How do we move Mississippi from like last on every single list to, to, you know, thinking about conceptualizing what it would be like if we weren't last in education, what it would be like if we had access to quality healthcare. And everybody can be a part of that conversation. That's not a conversation that just me and Matthew need to be having. That's a conversation that everyone can be a part of about what it's gonna to take to move us forward. So super excited that you all have decided to uh, join a coalition to bring your voices to this podcast. And I think that's going to be a huge part in us beginning to shift the narrative about what it means to be from Mississippi um, and what it means to, even though we are from here and we've talked about some of the positive things that we've experienced here, what does it mean for us to really strive for better um, for our people and for the folks in our community? If you are a Mississippi millennial, who would like to have your brand or business featured on the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable podcast, follow us on Instagram at MSMRoundtable and find out how you can get connected to our growing coalition and have your brand featured here on our podcast. I don't think I have anything to add. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Y'all said everything in terms of why a person, you know, you know, would want to include themselves into something like this. I mean, the the thing I wonder about is why wouldn't I know I asked the question, but you know, like, all right, what would prevent somebody from like, all right, hey, I want you to, to join us on the millennial round. Table. I think disillusion. I think it's easy in Mississippi to get disillusioned with the fact that so many people benefit from the narrative that Mississippi will never change. True. But like on me and Matthew's end, like we're looking at voter data. We're right. looking at like the the races that are won by very small margins. It can get there. Right. It yeah. can get there. And I think yeah. that's a huge part of the narrative that like isn't being told. Like so many people benefit from the idea that Mississippi isn't going to change, even though that's not the truth. Right, we, right. we trend in the right direction. Mm -hmm. we, and I mean, we also have to think about who are the people, like, I don't know, like who are the people writing those stories? Like none of this stuff that we see, or like it doesn't center black people. And I know like all of this data that we have, the people who have the audiences, they don't look like us. Um, so mm -hmm. I mean, that's exactly how we stay stagnant, uh, is because we don't have a lot of media outlets that advocate for the centering of black folks. Because Mississippi as we know it is not, it doesn't center black folks. Yep. That is true. Yeah. That's that really why we wanted to create Black Men No Chaser, man. It's like we didn't have that space. Um yep. the the people like you just said, Jasmine, they're not telling the stories that or they aren't telling the stories in a way that actually resonates with a particular audience. 
And for us to be able to to have the type of conversations and people can be like, I, I, I trust Aisha. I trust Marcus. I trust Matthew. I trust Jasmine. And I can understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And it sounds right. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound like a foreigner coming in to inform me about, you know, what Mississippi is. Like we, we know these folk have been here forever right. and a day. They they got roots. They 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 look cool. They you know all of that. So we we the round table. <laughs> we the round table. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um so why is and I know we've talked about this for a little bit, um, but why is political engagement or civic engagement important? Or and what does that mean to be politically engaged? Like what does that mean to be y'all? I think to me, what that looks like is being, um, so first, I think that looks like being aware. Like, are you aware of how, like you were saying, Jasmine, how do local politics play a role in your day to day? So that's part of it. Like, who are all of these different people in your local government that have an impact on things from like potholes in the street to like school, your local school district? Um, I think that's part of pe being politically engaged. Um, but I also think that it's a two way street. It's not just about like citizens being engaged, it's also about elected officials being responsive to the needs of the people. Um, and I think that, like, when I was talking about disillusion earlier, I think that's why sometimes millennials don't like to engage with Mississippi politics. Because they think that, like, okay, elected officials aren't going to be responsive to me either. But in order for things to work, in order for civic engagement to work, in order for democracy to work, there has to be a two-way street where citizens are talking to elected officials and elected officials are listening and paying attention to the needs of the people. Um, and so for me, this podcast is not just about like preaching to millennials about voting. I want legislators to tune in. I want elected officials to pay attention to our voices and the things that we care about and the things that we say. So it's not just this idea about preaching to people about voting. It's also preaching to elected officials about listening to the people who are voting because it's a two way street. Um, and so that's kind of what political engagement is to me. Anything that you do to be informed, to be aware um, to understand how systems impact um, not just your life, but uh, your community, the ecosystem that you live in. Yeah, uh, and, and I think for me, it's, it's about, uh, is my community in the position to control our own destiny? Ooh, that's, uh, good. that's That's, that's what political engagement is to me. Can, can I control my own destiny? destiny? Uh, uh, by being involved in the political arena, uh, by understanding how the political process, how the political system works, um, and being an active participant um, in that process to dismantle systems that don't represent me or don't represent people that look like me or don't benefit people that look like me. Um, and so, you know, this this might sound a little rough, but but at the end of the day, for me, it's about, you know, can we build power? All right, can we be in the driver's seat? Um, and, and I think that's what po political engagement is about. Um, because, I mean, essentially, if, 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 if we're not the ones making the rules and, and, and we're not the ones that are influencing and setting policy, 
uh, nine times out of 10, it's somebody that doesn't have the best interest in, of our community um, that, that are set, set in this policy, uh, that, are, that are responsible for some of the policies that are implemented across this state um, and across the country. Um, so, so that's what it's about for me. Um, it's about being in the driver's seat. It's about controlling um, our own destiny and making sure that, that, that we put our community in the best position um, to be successful. Yeah, Matthew, I'm, I'm here for all of that. Um, I, I don't want to sit at your table. I have my own table. Like that's, that's where I, Straight am. Up. I don't, I don't want to go to nobody's little country club shindigs. I want to go wherever Silas and Marcus DJing because I know I'm gonna have a good time. And then if the elected official that we put in the office, uh, comes through that evening, that is perfect because, Hey man, look, I, I got a little question I need to ask you. You know, uh, and I think our folks don't necessarily understand that that's how it's supposed to be or that's how it, it works for, for everybody else because they're engaged and they don't mind saying, hey, man, I really didn't agree with, uh, you know, the last thing that you did. You want a beer, though? Mm-hmm. Should be that and, simple. And, and, and that's yeah. it. So, I mean, I think... Politically engaged or civically engaged means that I can go to the to the city council meeting. I can go um, to the the legislative sessions. Um, I can make sure that I'm I'm informed about all of the things that are happening in my state or in my uh, municipality. But also, I need to be able to 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 pull a person's coattail and still uh, look at them with their humanity treat them as a person and uh and then we can try to to go and grow from that point but understand that i am going to tell you how i feel and you should be okay with that yeah yeah and i agree um it's important for me because i think we need to understand at the end of the day this all comes down to information and education for me, for my so for me, in being engaged, it means to understand these systems and relay those messages to people who are like me, are in the same demographic, who completely like I went through college, all of this stuff, and got through without knowing how to really be politically engaged, and that's crazy to me. Um, and I think it's because we're given politics or this area. It's like it's like a it's like a mystery. Um, and no one really teaches it as a means of, like, this is something that you can be a part of. I think we learn uh, this space as a, almost like a, a, an outside view and basically vote for the president. Um, so for me, it's just to, to relay any information that I get, correct information, to make people see themselves in these laws that people are making. So there's a lot of times we just completely exclude ourselves because it's not, COVID-19, you know, but again, going back to that day-to-day, how does this affect our day-to-day quality of life, and how can we point to the systems or the people that are responsible for how I'm living? Um, so, yeah, that's that's what it is to me. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, we, we have the um, highest share of registered Black voters um, in the nation, uh, almost 80% of your eligible black voters in the state are registered to vote. 
Um, the problem is with turnout. Um, we, we know that, that most folks uh, naturally vote at a higher rate in presidential elections than they do in municipal or state elections. Um, but turnout is, is still not nearly where it should be um, in the state. Uh, so the, the question for y'all is, uh, uh, why aren't people more uh, politically engaged in Mississippi? Um, and we talking specifically millennials, for me, I think it's because they aren't talking or using the language or the avenues that millennials are, that young people are, and I think that is intentional. And by the way, of Mississippi just being behind. One thing that I did notice coming back, I was like, um, all of our messaging or the things that we do, like Mississippi hasn't really transitioned, I don't think, into a digital age. Um, everything is so heavily like word of mouth, and I know that's one of the biggest forms of communication anyway. Um, but I think it's because when you look at the education or when you look at all of the information for being politically engaged, all people, it really stops at register to vote. Like there's always this huge push for people to vote, but where is the continued messaging for us? Um, and who, who's really writing the messages? Who's speaking the language? And I'm just speaking from a media perspective. Um, who are these people making the decisions and, and where are they saying we want to advertise? and who's writing the copy, um, and how long is it going up? Are you reaching out to other outlets? Because I think it solely goes back to how they're communicating. Um, because millennials, we're not really listening to radio stations. We ain't got cable. <laughs> um, so things like that, like how do we transition and use different means of, connect, means of connecting, um, and how do we expand on that to make people really, really care about what's going on? And I, I would also say, that we're, we're a part of a generation who saw people vote and also, cause now this, now we're being flooded with um, like black people dying. So I think that there's a disparity, I guess, amongst black people too. Um, because now we wanna know how do we really solve these issues when we have voted, you know, like or when we have protested. So I think we're just at this standstill of showing the results of this work. Um, that's what I think. I got a, I, I believe that my, my viewpoint is a bit different from what I'm hearing. I think it's because we, well, it may, it, I think it's along the, some of the same lines. Jasmine, you were saying that we're not investing our money into the right outlets. Yeah. Um, I know one of the things that, um, I've seen firsthand is that mm -hmm. particular organizations every election cycle uh, get obscene amounts of money to do the same thing that they've done. Think <laughs> on and it. that's one. Then yeah. you have politicians who hire the same strategists. Yeah that don't win in Mississippi <laughs> to not win your campaign. <laughs> so, man, say it again. Hey, say it again hey. for the people, Chuck. Y'all president just got rid of his. 
So, it so is, look. It is, it, 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 wait, it's four months I before mean, the election. Chuck, so, how many losses are you going to take before you many, pivot? How many L's do you want to take <laughs> before you be like, all right, let me put this guard up. Let me, you know, all right, like, all right, let's go what's back the to the, huh? What's the let's, definition of insanity? Man, doing the same thing. And we keep doing the same thing. All right, and, and I, ain't, I ain't hating, because look, I'm a person that has knocked on doors. I'm a person that has gone to uh, the parks and passed out flyers. Door to door. I'm talking about all of that. I done did all of that. That's not to say that we're not going to do that. What I'm saying is, is that we have to do something different. We have to say things differently. And we also have to make sure that we got credible messengers. Because if you're walking in the neighborhood and you don't speak the language, and uh, and I'm saying, you know, like culturally informed and speaking the language is two different things. Like I, I can inform somebody on how to walk through Trinity Gardens, Mobile, Alabama, but I can't talk about Verdant Edition or, you know, Washington right. Edition. I can't talk about that because that's not where I came from. Now, if I spend some time there and I get my cultural information from folks that come up in that place, then I could do that. But man... The, the people in Mississippi that keep on taking these L's, they keep on getting the same people that are trained by the folks that's been producing the L's. So that's why I, I think um, a couple of reasons Lineage why, of losers. Yeah, that, that we not <laughs> engaged because people don't want to be losers. Like, who, yeah. who you know that will want to be a loser? Second place forever. All right, I stop. I'm getting a little. I'm getting a little. <laughs> yeah, but but Chuck's right. To Chuck's point about um about the the power of of relational organizing. Um, so when we we had our we launched our issue campaign last year around criminal justice reform, um, and district attorneys, um, and so we had we had about 300 canvases in in East Mississippi, um, and in Southwest Mississippi, um, and so everybody that we used was from that community. Uh, and, and so we, I had a guy that was, that was canvassing in Clark County. Um, and, you know, he, he had, you know, he was knocking on so many doors, had a high contact rate. So I'm like, you know, is this guy really doing the work, you know, or is he just pulling my leg? Um, but he was a pastor of a church. Uh, he had his own church and everybody went to his church. Um, and so folks were more inclined because they had uh, already had developed a relationship with this guy. Folks were more inclined to open their door for him. Um, and so you're able to get more work done that way. You're able to reach more people that way. Um, and so the, 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 the strategy and the tactics can be effective. It's about who you use. Are you utilizing local people? Are you investing in local people? Because it's, it's, it's not about making sure that my, my grandma or my mama goes to the polls. They're going to vote. It's about reaching those folks, those low propensity voters, those folks that vote every blue moon. It's about making sure that they go and vote. Uh, and, and nine times out of 10, those folks aren't going to get up and go vote by me coming down, knocking on their door, saying, hey, go vote. They never seen me before. They don't know me. I don't have any influence in their community. They don't know who I am. Um, and so it's going to take somebody... Uh, that's from that community that, that that has influence, that has an intimate relationship with that person to say, hey, I need you to be more politically engaged. Hey, I need you to, to vote in this election. Uh, it, it's not going to be a, a commercial that they see on TV that's going to increase voter turnout 
or a radio ad that they hear. Uh, it's going to be the people that they know, people that they trust, that are talking to them, that are act, that are activating those folks to make sure that they go to the poll. Uh, and so that model, that method of engagement has been successful. Um, and so that's what it takes if you want to increase participation, if you want to increase voter turnout. Do we have folk on the ground that are actively engaging people that they know? Are people being good relational organizers? Are they having those conversations? Um, and, and to my prior point about being able to bolster political education, um, if, if, if I don't know what the DA does, the power that the DA has, then what's the point of me paying attention to the district attorney, right? I don't know what the DA does, so I'm not paying attention to who's running in the district attorney's race even though the district attorney is the most powerful person in the local <laughs> criminal justice system. Absolutely. Right? Uh, because when I would go down and I would go to town halls and, and community conversations, um, one of the first questions I would ask people, uh, I would say, who in here knows who their sheriff is? And everybody would raise their hand. And then I would ask folks, well, who in here knows who the district attorney is? And you might have maybe two or three people that knew who their district attorney was. But here you have the, mo the most powerful person in the criminal justice system because of their discretionary power and how they charge people, how they sentence people, the bail recommendations that they make, and folks didn't know who it was. Um, and so we have to make sure that we show folks, hey, this resource is directly tied to your vote. Your, our schools being funded, fully funded or underfunded, that's directly tied to the vote. Uh, making sure that our loved one, when they get sick, that they have uh, health care coverage that's tied to the vote. Mm. We have to do that work. That's the work that's, that's necessary. Uh, and, and I want to say that, that that voting is necessary. It's not sufficient, uh, but it's one of the one of the many tactics that we have to help solve our problems. Uh, and so we have to make sure that people understand it. Hey, we know that voting is not the be all end all, but it's one of the most important tactics that we have at our disposal to make sure that that we get the resources that that we need and produce the change that we need. Um, and so there are some method of, methods of engagement, you know, that, that we can use that, that, that go against the traditional approach that work. Uh, and, and it's called making sure that folks talk to people that they know. That's the most effective method to make sure that, that, that we increase political engagement in the state. Yeah. And just, uh, y'all answered everything. <laughs> um, I would say um, people just don't care. Like, and it's sad that, it, I mean, even in this COVID-19, when you tell somebody that knows should be wearing a mask, but they just like, it ain't got no, it don't, it, it doesn't bother them until it hits home. And it's like people, like, like you said with the DA, like people don't know what's appointed and what's voted in. Um, even when, in, when I was younger, I would vote off of name recognition. If, if the name looked cool to me, I'm voting for them, not knowing that I'm I'm being a detriment to my community because I may be voting somebody that don't even care about my community. And we have to get them to learn to love politics and let them and, and get them to know that it's cool to be engaged politically because it's they're 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 not caring and it's it's upsetting and sad and we won't ever change if we don't care. And uh I think that people see the chatter on social media and say, my vote didn't count. If it didn't count, people wouldn't suppress it. If it didn't count, 
John Lewis wouldn't be getting beat up over, <laughs> on the Pettus Bridge. I mean, if it didn't count, they wouldn't have assassinated uh, Martin. Like, they fought for these things. They died for these things. They bled for these things. So your vote matters. Your vote counts. So get engaged. And, you know, I think for me, when I think about it, I've spent a, some time, I'm not going to say a lot of time, I've spent some time at the Capitol um, doing some advocacy work, lobbying legislators about issues. And I've been told to my face, my constituents don't care about that. Y'all create issues about something my constituents don't care about. Door closed, right? So to me, like, I think that there are people within the political system, political leadership, particularly in Mississippi, who benefit from the idea that, who, who benefit from people thinking that their vote does not count. Right. Right. I think when people accept that narrative, they don't realize that like you're feeding into something that like like it absolutely does matter. But when you you put that out there, you're feeding into the disillusion that they actually benefit from you having. And I think the complicated thing with that is that in order to for people to understand that their vote does matter they have to also understand that when that, that sometimes there are bigger systems at play like of course we vote and we participate and the promises that you hear politicians make sometimes those things don't come to fruition but the idea of democracy is that if we keep the discourse going, if we keep the conversation going, then we force political leadership to pay attention to our needs. So even when, I'm not saying that vote, and this is a magic wand, and Mississippi is going to be better, but voting gets our foot in the door. Voting gets our, you know, it allows us some leverage. And that's the kind of thing that I want millennials to understand. If we're, the, if we're the growing voting block, we're the sleeping giant voting block of Mississippi, that if we actually energized ourselves and woke ourselves up, we can vote more progressive people into office, but we will have to push back against the disillusion that Mississippi politicians have created in order to be able to benefit from the lack of participation in uh, the electorate process. Um, and I think, I don't know if y'all saw that tweet that was going around or like a comment, um, that an election commissioner in Mississippi made saying that he noticed oh, yeah. that a lot of <laughs> black people were getting registered to vote and that should be of concern to people like the blacks, <laughs> the blacks the black. specifically. <laughs> I think, um, that is a key indication to me and I've done voter registration work and I, I know that there are times that we've been out in, in black neighborhoods deep and show up to the city clerk's office with 1,200 registration forms. And everybody wants to know where we've been and why we're registering this many people. And so I think that those stories need to be told because it lets people know that like, not necessarily that there's a villain in this, but that um, when you feed into your vote not mattering, that means, that means well for a lot of people that you don't want it to mean well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that 
the role of the Millennial Roundtable is not to preach at people about voting, but we do want to give you accurate information about how you can use that as a tool, how we can use that as a tool to mobilize ourselves and leverage that in order to push progressive policy um, and to have people at the table that actually represent us. Yeah, and I do have like, um, and so I think we do have the opportunity to kind of, because maybe we need to, and I think this has already been said, but maybe we need to really change the narrative of course about how people view voting because we've only seen voting be preached as an end all be all this is how you save your community and we just and i think we're looking at it and seeing that's just not true you know um and so maybe changing the narrative about what it means to vote and you have and we have more work to do and maybe even coming up with like what does this ecosystem of social change look like yes we have a, what do we pair that with you know like what is what is this a part of like what's the bigger picture and this is what voting does and i think that'll help people put it into more context because what i'm listening to i think that we we can use voting as a means of like basically communicating to the people who make the the rules and the whatever about our lives even if we think that it don't matter whatever it also looks like we're not talking about it and i think like that's kind of what voting tells is, okay well they don't have a problem with it because they're not saying anything. And I think if we shifted our understanding of voting just being a means of communicating, um, to point to the issues, regardless of like after that, what we what we imagine about the vote doing, but at the bare minimum, it doing that, it being a conversation and a means of telling people and saying where the issues are and how we want to change it. Um, but yeah, I think having a, a larger concept of, of what the social change look like and the the role that voting has in, in that people. Yeah, uh, and, and, I, and I add this um, because, you know, uh, to your point about um, the narrative, right, where I think, you know, is, is I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that people don't care, but I would say that people view politics um, you know, as this exclusive club. And like you were saying, Asia, that's to somebody's benefit, right? That you view politics as this far out of reach thing that only benefits people that are well-connected, people that have money, you know, uh, people like Donald Trump. That's the only people that the political system benefits, right? Politics is not for me. I just need to stay out of the way because it doesn't help or benefit people like me. The political right. system is 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 for you know it's for elites it's for people that are connected people that are established people that have money right um and so i think we have to change that narrative and show people that hey you know we we have to approach it from a power building mindset um and show folk hey you know you have the power and you have to say so right and the your vote like like jason was saying your vote is just one of the many tactics that you have to create change to produce substantive change in your community. It's just one of the tactics that you have and we have to use it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if, if we want to build power, if we want to change stuff in our community, you know, so. I think that was the perfect, perfect, like the ending to our first <laughs> round table discussion. And I really love what Jasmine said about voting being a form of communication. Um, and I think that that's an important nugget um, because it is, it is a win, lose, or draw. It is a form of communication to say we're here and we're paying attention to you. 
Um, and that and that is very important. And that's what we're trying to do with the Millennial Roundtable. We're here and we're paying attention to what you're doing and how that impacts us and our generation and our ability to be able to really reimagine Mississippi. Um, so we also want the Millennial Roundtable to be a place where you can hear about uh, political news, um, different things that are going on in the political space. Um, and so for every roundtable episode that you hear from here on out, we'll have some hot topics, um, some things that we've seen on social media or in the local media here, um, and that we think we want to bring to the roundtable. Um, and so we're going to be having a hot topics session of every a segment of every episode where we kind of run through Russian roulette style, some of the things that we've seen in the news media and give some quick commentary about those things. Um, so first, I want to start off by just kind of asking the group, like what I know we talked through uh, the many topics that we want to bring to the round table and the different political topics that we want to inform people about. Uh, but I would ask, which one of those are you looking forward to the most? For me, it, um, in political news, and this is not something that's very new, but um, Mississippi Today published an article, I think, back in April maybe before then, um, about the welfare scandal here in the state of Mississippi. Um, <laughs> and that is something I'm willing, we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to the welfare scandal and the state legislature trying to pass a bill to audit people's tax returns for food stamps while simultaneously stealing money from the TANF program. And it is just such an example of the corruption in Mississippi politics, but I cannot wait to break that down on the show for you all. So what are some of the other topics that we're going to be discussing that y'all are excited about? Well, with me, um, I'm excited about the small business roundtable. Um, sure. As far as about keeping uh, businesses here, um, learning how to um, thrive, being in Mississippi, like I said before, if you can make it in Mississippi, you can make it anywhere. I don't care what nobody says. Um, and basically learning how to brand yourself to where you can be in Mississippi, but look like you're a brand out of New York or LA or Atlanta or, or Dallas. So that's one thing I'm excited about. And I'm excited about bringing that perspective too. Um, I think that you choose to be an entrepreneur in Mississippi like you really are. Um, you really are about that life. <laughs> you have to be. You have to be about that life to want to grow, to grow a brand, to grow a business out of Mississippi. Um, so I'm excited. I'm, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very excited about that, for sure. I am excited. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm excited about bringing in the conversation about space and how we'll be able to see, well, I'm, I don't want to say we'll be able to see change, but just thinking about it from a creative standpoint, um, a lot of times or a lot of reasons that creatives aren't wanting to stay here is because of the lack of community and space. So I want to kind of bring that and, and figure out how easy, like how can we combat that um, to provide places of like cross-pollination and, and really grow in these, because it's, it's a whole bunch of creatives here, innovators, makers, and who just need space <laughs> and, and who need community. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm I'm on a follow the money. 
I'm looking for it. <laughs> look, I, I don't think I'm going to be on that one. I just want to sit back and wait for it. I'm like, ooh, look, somebody needs to do some real deal digging. And I want to get all of the dirt. I want I want some ugly Facebook pictures. It's messy now. It's messy. <laughs> I mean, if y'all, I don't know what kind of reality TV y'all watch for entertainment, but Mississippi politics is some of the best reality content. <laughs> but for it is sure. crazy. It is crazy how they hadn't said anything, but um I, I will keep that mayor's name out of this, but he got you know what I'm saying? Like they 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 put that down quick. Put all of it down. Real yeah, quick. These people, these people just, just chilling. Ooh, wait. Oh, no, I, okay, okay. Go ahead, Jasmine. No, I didn't say y'all ain't gonna say the name. Yeah, talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Jasmine said, say their name, put their name out there. Say the name. <laughs> no, it, it, it's it, it's the Moss Points mayor. Oh, um, man, he's staying yeah. stay everything. Yeah, they gave him, what, 12, 14 or 12 counts. Yeah, him and his uh, wife. Yeah. So, but it, it, it just, it just, I mean, wrong is wrong. Yeah. I'm hoping allegedly. But the disparity in, in sentencing is, yeah, is, is hugely. Exactly. Yeah. They, 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 just, they, they came down with it real quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah, 14 counts quickly, but we haven't heard much about the tennis case with millions of dollars okay. of tax Wait. money just Brit, Brit gave that money back quick. <laughs> I don't even want it no more. Millions of dollars just gone. Why, why they also kind of criminalize people, like the people who need it? And that's just like, what? Right. I'm excited yeah. about that one. I'm super excited. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm excited about our episode about criminal justice reform. Of course, we can't oh, yeah. start off the Millennial Roundtable without, of course, acknowledging what's happening in the country right now. Um, not only in the country, but in the state. And I really, um, I'm excited about the conversations that we're going to have about criminal justice reform because criminal right. justice issues in Mississippi are, that is one of our top issues that we're, political issues we're facing right now. Our, yeah. our criminal justice system, not only just in the way that it impacts people who, um, who get arrested or, or the policing in our communities, but just the amount of black people, of, of human beings from our communities that are locked up inside of Mississippi um, jails are crazy. Um, so I'm excited to talk about that, but also Matthew has an op-ed right now that was published in the Clarion Ledger that talks a lot about that. And I kind of want to give him the space to talk a little bit about the op-ed and where you can find it. Yeah, so it's in the Clarion Ledger. Uh, it came out about um, um, two weeks ago. Uh, and so really, I, I just want, want folks to, to, to really slow down and think, okay, how can we, how can we best capture this, this current moment that we're in? Right, that's been ushered in over the past month or so, uh, because of the the Black Lives Matter protests, um, because of the pandemic. Uh, how do we capture this this current moment and and utilize it to create real substantive policy change, um, to usher in a paradigm shift? Um, and so that was the purpose of the op-ed to really talk about okay, how do we channel our protest into into real policy change? Um, especially police reform. Um, so I went over 
some some use of force policies um, that that we have the power um, as communities to advocate for. Um, and, and so uh, I, I think Jackson, uh, that was about two weeks ago, Jackson um, updated their use of force policies. Um, and so, uh, you know, use of force policies have been shown to reduce the amount of people killed by police officers. Um, and then, you know, on, on, on the other side, they've also been shown to, to reduce the amount of police officers that are killed and that are assaulted. Um, so these use of force policies keep civilians safe and they also keep officers safe. Um, and then I talked about civilian review boards. Uh, and, and so um, do we have that independent uh, investigative authority um, with subpoena power that's able to, 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 to hold police officers accountable? Um, and, and, and so I, I talked about, hey, you know, we need to meet with our uh, municipal and, and county officials, our board of supervisors, our mayor and the city council, or board of aldermen, whatever you have in your community, because your mayor and your, your board of aldermen, your city councilmen, they're responsible for appointing and confirming your police chief. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and if you want to get create a civilian review board, you got to go through them on a county level. If you want to create a civilian review board, you got to go through your board of supervisors. Um, and so those positions are very important. You know, we often talk about the police, but what are some of those other positions that are important in making sure that we create real change inside of our police department, uh, uh, inside of our police departments? I also talked about people with mental health issues. Uh, folk with mental, mental health issues are 16 times more likely to be killed by law enforcement officers than the rest of the population. Um, and so I talked about how you have cities like Eugene, Oregon, um, that, that have uh, redirected resources um, to, to mental health experts to make sure that they're the first responders to somebody that's uh, experiencing a uh, mental health crisis, um, to make sure that we don't have that type of situation where we saw with Elijah McClain, where you have somebody killed because they're, they're going through a, a, a mental health crisis. Um, and so those are some of the things that I talked about in the op-ed, and I just made it clear that, hey, you know, we had the power to push for these changes. It's just about us being organized and about us mobilizing. Uh, nobody has to do it for us. Nobody has to hold our hand through the process. It's within our power, within our own range uh, to, to make this stuff happen. Uh, so that's what I talked about in the op-ed. I had a chance to read it. Great piece, Matthew. If you all have the opportunity, go to the Clan Ledger web website, check out Matthew's article uh, about what criminal justice reform looks like here in the state of Mississippi based on um, the issues that impact our community. Um, so last but not least, y'all, I was on Twitter yeah, the other day. <laughs> And I saw that the state of, first of all, I looked, when I saw the page and the seal as the Abby, I thought it was a legit state of Mississippi page. <laughs> so the fact that the handle is available and it is now a parody right. account is the funniest thing ever to me because like what other state in this union, like can that happen to but Mississippi? How on brand is that for us? Did you see the uh, the moment of truth? Very ashamed. Very ashamed. <laughs> Bro, what what's what's the what's the handle? State of Mississippi. State of MS. State of MS. Like I'm like, how is that official Twitter handle available for somebody to make a parody account of me? I did not read offer no real information. <laughs> Well, uh, Jasmine, that goes back to what you said about Mississippi being behind digitally. Like, 
I mean, <laughs> there's no so way. behind digitally. So I what? feel like that also is like, that's why millennials need to have a seat at the table because like one of us at some point would have said like, maybe, I feel like I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like every millennial I know, they probably have their own personal stuff, but they're also their own personal brand. So they understand the importance of like, doing that stuff so why wouldn't a yeah. whole state like nobody nobody anywhere on the comms team of the state of mississippi was like that's where i am I'm like so you mean you did not reserve all digital real estate <laughs> and so um, my question is so what is the state of mississippi's twitter handle or it does the state of mississippi operate a twitter handle the fact what? that we're answering this and having to ask this question is like bad marketing. I'm not a marketing person, but I feel like if the people who live in your state has to ask, do you have a Twitter handle? Then like, you're probably not on your job. Mm. Okay. That's but why. like the tweet I saw says, we have heard your complaints about the mandated mask ordinance that has yes. been issues in some parts of the state, yes. but we don't want you to think we aren't listening. So here's an official statement on the mask policy in the state. We don't care what you think. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, what? No verified check, no nothing. And it already has six, almost 1,700 followers. That was just so my, funny to me. My, my favorite was the reason our country is having so many heat waves is because we have so many thermometers, more thermometers than any other country. <laughs> I can retweeting and liking. Oh no, I saw some comments where people legit are like engaging, like like, like it's a real oh, state of Mississippi. I was gonna say that one I just read got uh, 439 retweets, 2,000 likes, and the one that you're talking about is it's got 15 retweets and 56 likes. So, and they just posted that uh, today, I think. So. Man, we're working on it. We the the millennial round table, we're working on it. We Bruh. we gonna hire me. State of Mississippi, hire me. Y'all can who's doing the PR? Like what is really going on? Like what's going on in the office? I just found a, a, a picture of Tate and somebody. They got some up and over uh 12 gauge shotguns on their shoulder. It's a it's a picture of a little dog in the background pissing. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> And you know, I'm not going to claim it's a millennial behind the page, but probably, but also, I do think it's a Really? But look, that wraps up our very first episode of the Roundtable. Make sure you stay, check out the State of Mississippi parody page, but also check out the Mississippi Roundtable, MSM Roundtable on all platforms. And I also want to give a chance for all of the folks at the round table. Um, you'll be hearing from us every episode, but I want to give them a chance to tell you all where you can find them on social media. Um, so Marcus, tell the folks where they can find you. Um, DJ Cujo on everything. It doesn't <laughs> matter what it is, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Apple Music. It is DJ K-U-J-H-O. That's what's up. Jasmine, where can folks get in uh, get in the know about Sip Talk? 
Um, you can find me on all social platforms at the Kim Shady, uh, T H E K I M S H A D E Y, um, and of course follow Sip Talk at S I P P T A L K. All right, Chuck. Where can the people get into? Where can the people see you and the many things that you're up to down on the Gulf Coast? Man, look, I ain't up to nothing outside <laughs> of this house. Uh, so for for the record, uh, you know the pilgrims and all of their activities, and and my people that that are not following social distancing uh, guidelines, y'all ain't gonna find me nowhere but on Mars on the road. All right, for the record. <laughs> But if you want to see, you know, some of what we got going on, man, it's at George Chuck everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, like Cujo says, SoundCloud.com. Uh, uh, so <laughs> D-E-O-R-G-E-C-H-U-C-K. Boom. All right. Matthew, where can the people find you? Uh, let me look at <laughs> You can tell. You can tell. Right. On Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter, my name is uh, Matthew underscore D Camp. Uh, I don't do a lot of tweeting because I just try to stay out of trouble. Uh, but <laughs> I'm on Twitter like all the time though. Uh, I really, I'm on Facebook. I really don't use Facebook much. I, I still think I like got like my profile pictures from like six, seven years ago. Oh, for sure. Uh, Same. I don't use I don't use Facebook much, but on Instagram, um, my IG is Matt, uh, and it's like three underscores DC. Uh, so that's me. On, on those are the the two social media uh, platforms that I'm most active on, uh, Twitter and Instagram. So um, you know, tweet at me. I might tweet you back. You know, I might, <laughs> but uh, add me on add me on Instagram, and I I might not like I probably won't like your picture, but I will. Uh, watch your Insta story. So add me on Instagram. <laughs> For sure. All right. So you heard what to check everybody out. I encourage you to check out each one of them individually. There's some great Mississippi millennials to be connected to. Um, and stay tuned. We're going to be bringing you some really great content. Um, and we hope you all will keep listening. And that is the first episode of the I'm not afraid of